grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to tonight's uh, episode of California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so, and I think we've got a really good show lined up for you. It's a little different from what we do, and that's because, like I, like, like I try to tell people, I'm a journalist, photojournalist, and I like to change it up. You know, I like to cover, I don't want to say newsworthy items, but items other than paranormal stuff, even though I'm a paranormal investigator, right? Okay. But this particular topic tonight, means a lot to me. Um, I retired from wor- working full-time. I retired back in 2011 from working full-time to take care of my father, who was ill at the time and elderly. But he did not have dementia or anything like that. He had issues, but not like that. Now, my mother, on the other hand, my father lasted, after I retired, my father lasted probably two years, I think, something around there, before he passed. But before, he, way before he passed, my mother was always forgetful. You know, even, even when she was still working for AT&T, always had these forgetful moments and stuff. But it was funny. It was clever. You know, uh, you know things like, like she, my father would say, well, where's your purse? She'd say, it's hanging on the door. She wouldn't give a direction. Or it's hanging on the thing. Stuff like that. But as my father got sicker and, and he was not a pleasant old person, I'll put it that way. The stress that we were both under taking care of him was tremendous. And I started to see things with my mother that were like subtle changes. If they were changes, like she would put eggs on the stove to boil and she'd forget they were there. And then we'd be watching TV and you'd hear the explosions because the eggs would blow up. Things like that that started. And then, you know, once my father passed away, she had a stroke within a couple of months. And then you could see the dementia started creeping even more so, where she would forget things. You know, a lot of people in that situation go through this. And I know there's a lot of people out there that are going through this right now. In fact, I'm writing a book right now called Bringing Up Daddy, which is going to cover taking care of both of them because they were such different personalities. But also my mother, really how I handled my mother, because there's, there's people out there that, and and I'm sure uh, Dr. Post will go over this today. You know, people handle people, you know, people that are having mind issues like that differently. And me, I just took the approach that I was going to be in her world, no matter what, to keep her happy. I wanted my mother happy. She was the last of seven kids Everybody passed away in front of her. And the last thing I wanted her to do was, was give up on life. So I kept her happy. If, if she wanted to know where her sister was, I'd say they were on vacation. You know, I didn't come out and say, hey, they're dead. Deal with it. I wasn't going to do that with her. The other thing that I did was she would forget who I was, which was fine. She, her youngest sister was probably 14 months older than her and so they were real tight and so that's who she thought I was I'm fine with it that's cool you know um 
when she had her times where, where she could remember me, I was real happy with that. I took advantage of and had talks with her and stuff. And then I could see her slip back. And it didn't bother me. It really didn't, you know. There was a certain question pattern I had for her, like when we would go to the hospital and the nurses would ask me, is she still here? You know, is she still thinking straight? And I'd say, Mom, who am I? And she'd say, Connie. And I'd say, Mom, where do you live? And she'd say, Dixie Ann. Well, she grew up on Dixie Ann Avenue here in Sacramento. To me, that was okay. That was norm for her. If she didn't say that stuff, then I knew something was really off, you know, with, with her illness. So that's how I handle her. I mean, I, I, we, Hollywood musicals were, were a biggie. She loved Hollywood musicals. And, you know, they get, sometimes they will get uh, upset. And that's how I would do it. I would put a whole, I would put Grease in particular, would go on the TV. And she would be really, really happy. It would calm her down. So I had ways of, of, hel of helping her. It was my way of helping her. I mean, my way may not be your way. My way may not be somebody else's way. But that's the way I did it. And I kept her happy. Seven years. Seven years. Anyway, my guest tonight, is, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about stuff uh, you know, related to dementia and Alzheimer's and different things like that. He's written a, a book on the subject. And I, I heard him on another show. And he was terrific. And I can't wait to talk to him because... I've really never talked to anybody, anybody in the medical field about this and what I went through. It's just been three years since she passed. And um, I miss her. I miss her. Even though she you know, even though she didn't know who I was for a long time, you know, it was okay. We got along great. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to bring Stephen G. Post on and uh, we can get to know him before we get going here. Okay. Good evening. Good evening. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Good. How are you? I'm fine. I'm so glad to be on this program. It's going to be a great evening. I am glad to have you on this program. Like I said, you know, I spent seven years with my mother and lived in her world, which wasn't really a bad world. It was kind of fun, you know? And because uh, I remember there's something else I didn't add from earlier is that my mother loved Disneyland and with my 65 inch TV and with the advent of people going on the ride, you know, and taking videos and all that, I was able to take her. And so we would sit on the couch together. And when we hit the turns, I, you know, I pull her to the side to make her turn and do oh. all this other stuff. And she just absolutely loved it. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said earlier, people may not handle their, you know, deal with theirs. Like I dealt with mine, but that's how I dealt with her and kept, kept her really happy. Well, you entered into her space, into her world and you can't be, anything except grateful for that opportunity. Some people don't quite ever get that. They're trying to mm -hmm. pull someone into this reality, into, mm -hmm. re, into reality therapy and so forth. And truly, uh, the best thing to do is uh, certainly at a certain point, just enter into that universe of their subjective uh, happiness and, and be a part of it. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell me how you got involved with, with, with studying all this and, 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 you know, all that. Well, when I was a boy, you know, which is increasingly long ago, you know, my, my grandmother, my grandmother was a really wonderful woman from Sheffield, England. Uh, she was actually a dancer on Broadway. And uh, uh, she eventually succumbed to what may have been Alzheimer's, but you have to be really careful of that because, you know, dementia is that decline in capacity. Um, 
but it can be caused by so many different things. Parkinson's, mm-hmm. stroke, uh, concussions, Alzheimer's. A hundred years ago, dementia was caused mainly by neurosyphilis. They didn't have antibiotics and people weren't living past 60. So, um, you know, dementia is this loss of capacity, but I don't even like the word dementia. And I, so from my grandmother, as I would sit there in a nursing home doing assisted oral feeding, you know, with the applesauce and bran and so forth, it's not an absolutely ecstatic experience, but it was in a certain way because there was a lot going on between us in that sort of give and take. And sometimes, um, her eyes would light up and I knew she was there, even if she couldn't communicate. But then to be open to surprises, every once in a while, kind of like what you're saying, every once in a while, um, my mom would call me by name. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what is hope? Hope mm-hmm. is being open to surprises because there's still underneath this loss, there's also, uh, I would say, a soul. There's still a, a human being that narrative is still there and you're not you're not ever able to say this is the husk or a shell or emptiness you know grandma's always there and that's a part of the book you know there's a chapter called is grandma still there question mark and and you know i've always believed that there is and 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 i don't see how you can say anything other than that but yeah so that was my grandmother and and she was a wonderful woman and she got me uh, as I grew older, more interested in, in um, dementia and how, how we care for them. Mm-hmm. So this book is, you know, it's dignity for deeply forgetful people, how caregivers um, can meet the challenges of Alzheimer's disease. I've had tremendous interest in caregivers and worked with them for about 40 years from coast to coast and all over the world. Uh, and uh, I try in this book to help them to notice the continuity of self-identity and to be able to even stimulate that a little bit through music, through poetry. I like to say every caregiver should sing with their loved one. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and that you can connect with them, even though their, their linear reasoning may be limited. Uh, but it doesn't really matter at all because they're still there. And I agree so much with what you were saying that, okay, so your, so your mom, she didn't, she didn't call you by the right name. Mm-hmm. She mistook you, right? For right, but, but and, and some people say, "Oh, that's a horrible, horrible, dreadful thing." It's really not. Just got to get used to it. Right, right. Yeah, it didn't bother me. In fact, you know, when I knew what was going, it's just like when we would go, like I would have these three questions, and I would ask her when she would go to the ER because, you know, how clinical doctors are, they want to know, boom, 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 and I'd say, "Look, she's not all there." And this is the questions. If I, if she can answer these questions this way, I know she's all right. You know, like I said, what's my name? She'd, she'd say her sister's name. Where do you live? She'd either say Sacramento, which was fine too, mm-hmm. or she'd say Dixie Ann. So I'd be like, okay, that's it. She's good. And they'd look at me. Just like when she had her stroke and she was in there and they were testing her. And they asked her who the president of the United States was. My mother, I always told my friends, my mother was like Lucille Ball anyway, because she was always all over the place. And my mother looked at the nurses and stuff, and she said, oh, that black man. There you go. And, of course, they're scribbling away, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't you be marking bad things about this. This is her anyway. This is how she thought anyway before before the stroke. So this, this these were her thought patterns. 
And so, yeah, you know, what I thought were normal, the nurses were like, oh, no, 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 no. But that was seven years ago. A lot's changed now. Yeah. And, you know, what's normal and what isn't normal? I, I use this language of deeply forgetful people. You know why? Because we all have our moments. Okay, admittedly, dementia is a kind of intensification of deep forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. But, hey, I go behind this medical school here in Stony Brook and there's a big old parking lot. And sometimes I have to ask a student, do you know where my car is parked? They <laughs> laugh. You know, it's a huge, huge parking lot. Right. You can get lost. And then sometimes, actually one time, I had to ask a student, do you know if I drove to work today? <laughs> Which was probably a little more serious. But, you know, um, when we look at our lives, you know, uh, there's 500 students in this school, and I probably see half of them on the escalators every day. And I can't remember all their names, even though I've had conversations with them all, and I know them all to some degree, and I'll come into that sense of who they are uh, if you give me a few minutes with them. But we all have these uh, uh, these struggles to remember. Memory's never been perfect. And uh, and so dementia, if you want to call it dementia, I like to call it deep forgetfulness, sure. is not something that's alien to our experience. I mean, dementia is like it's, it's, it's them, they're demented, they cross the line, and then there's us, right? right? And so there, but for the grace of God, go I. I don't like that. I think that we all have to recognize that we can be empathic with these individuals because we all have frustrations over memory. Mm-hmm. Don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Every day, every day. The older I get, yeah, every day. You know. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? You know, do you think now that the medical field is starting to look at things differently? Because I've noticed, like people I've seen on TikTok talking about it, and whatnot. There's, there seems to be like a, a curve of a change that's happened in the last seven years. I think so. You know. Um, well, first of all. Um, People are actually talking about healthy aging as a way to prevent old age onset dementia. And that means um, diet, uh, you know, keep up those leafy greens, uh, uh, stay away from a lot of carbos and sugars, and because uh, that affects the metabolism in the brain. Um, you know, a lot of people have done studies showing that something like a Mediterranean diet uh, seems to be brain preserving. Uh, just walk a half an hour a day and don't, you don't have to go fast, just, uh, you know, an average pace, walk 20 minutes, half an hour a day. And uh, that improves your circulation, which is really good for your brain. Uh, so there are things you can do. And also, you know, a- actually in Phoenix, there's a big organization on Alzheimer's prevention. And they're really into mindfulness and meditation because most, now if you go back 15 years ago, there were no neurologists that I knew of who thought that stress, okay, could contribute to dementia. Mm-hmm. I mean, they thought that stress could, could, you know, create problems with your vascular system. It might slow wound healing, but now all the, good neurologists will say that protracted stress, stress over the course of many years, will affect your the hippocampus, which is that part of your brain mm-hmm. that lays down short-term memories. 
And so you can have a hard time like your mom did, like, you know, like my grandmother did with short term things like you can't quite remember was just said a second ago, whether it's a name or whatever it is. You may have a hard time walking back to get that uh, that egg that's cooking. You know, so your, your attentiveness to tasks, your ability to remember things short term, that becomes a problem. But the deeper memories, the memories of who I am, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they can be stimulated. They're always there. They can be stimulated by music, by art, by, by dance, by all kinds of things. And we're getting very, very good. There's even in, in New York, there's, some, there's a choir called the Unforgettables. That's cool. Yeah, it comes out of NYU. And, and, and you know, these are people, uh, you know, caregivers and their loved ones. And they may not communicate much at all. But, you know, um, they um, when they're singing a, a song that they both identify with, you talk about your mother liking, um, you know, musicals and such mm-hmm. things, you know. Uh, uh, they come together. Uh, the people who are deeply forgetful sort of come back into themselves. They kind of have more of a sense of who they are. And then lo and behold, after these, they actually do concerts once a month or so. After the concert, there's actually conversation going on between the caregiver and, and, and the loved one that is that is perfectly reasonable. And mm-hmm. so there, there is this sense in which we, we shouldn't write these people off, you know, and, and, and underneath the, the loss of capacity, there's a kind of opaque quality and you can lose sight of of who that person is, but actually, even in the silence or the um, uh, the, the gibberish at times, okay. I think underneath there's always a, a, a being, a soul, a, a person who deserves to be equally regarded, uh, just like all of us do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and memory does not make us any less human or any less valuable for its loss. I mean, it doesn't doesn't make a difference. I agree 100. percent And I know. I had people around me who, because I would have conversations with her, even with bills. Mm-hmm. I'd say, "Mom, you know, we got these, we got these bills," and she'd go, "Yes, yes." But you know, for that moment, she remembered. You know what I mean? It was there. It was just hidden underneath layers of whatever was what was going on with her. And so I would discuss everything with her. Yeah. So I tell a lot of stories in this book. It's full of wonderful, inspiring stories. I, I mean, I went with this great neurologist, uh, Joseph Michael Foley, who was at Case Western. I was there in the med school for 20 years. And uh, we went to a nursing home in Chardon, Ohio. And uh, there was a special care unit for people with uh, dementia. We went into a room where a fellow uh, slept and uh, we read his bio sketch on the wall. His name was Jim and he'd been a, he'd, he had a couple of kids that were growing up. He'd been a, an accountant and so I asked the nurse, take us out into the main area where people were ambulating, were walking around, mm-hmm. and introduce me to Jim. So we, we went out, and the nurse introduced me to Jim. I took him by the hand, then we sat down at a table. And I asked him, Jim, how are your sons? And he actually got anxious about that because uh, he was confused by it. But then when I, and I realized I'd used language wrongly. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to use open-ended questions. But when I asked him, how's Luke? He lit up like a fireball. And when I asked him, how's Zach? He just smiled tremendously. I mean, if, if love was electric, the place would have caught on fire. And so by using language in such a way as to uh, remind them, to cue them, 
of the things that are in there, but they're having a hard time finding the word, you can actually have much better conversations than most people are aware of. And so then Jim, he, um, he had a, a twig in his hand. It was a white twig. And uh, he, he put it in the, in the palm of my hands. I had my hands out like this for it. Mm-hmm. And um, when he put those, uh, that twig in my hand, he smiled and he said, and this is, this is what, you know, whatever one thinks about these things, he said, God is love. And I, 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 I couldn't believe it. So I, I, I thanked him and I gave him the twig back. And then I asked the nurse, so what's the story with this twig? And it turns out that he had grown up on a farm in uh, northern Ohio and he loved his dad a lot. And his dad gave him a chore every morning, which was to bring kindling in for the fireplace. So like a lot of these people who are deeply forgetful, see that the, the present moment is really intense for them. You know, it's right. buzzing and booming and, and they don't understand it so well. But they'll go back to tender, loving care. They'll go back to that point of attachment in their lives and those special people of attachment. So he was with that with that with that twig. Um, uh, uh, you know, that was the kindling that he was bringing in for the fireplace. And, 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 and his dad was there with him, I suppose. And, and in a sense, you know, they, they, they may lack linear rationality, like, you know, means ends rationality, but they don't lack symbolic rationality. I mean, I've seen so many people, I bet you with your mom too, you know, she could probably grab hold. She probably knew that certain articles of clothing were identified with her. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and maybe, uh, you know, certain certain pieces of music she identified with. Yes. And certain, you know, I mean, you could take a, you know, a, 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 a prayer bead if you're a Buddhist or Catholic or whatever, and someone can can still get a lot out of that and go nam yoho renge kyo, you know. So it's, it's you know, so so the symbolic stuff is always there. And that's where, and, and so then what happened with Jim, it was so interesting. So have you ever seen those old puppet dolls that, that, uh, girls would get and put them on their hands, you know, for just play stuff. Right. So there was a beat up old doll on the floor and it looked like it had been made, you know, 50 years ago. It probably had been, there wasn't much wool on it. It looked kind of, you know, it's almost a naked doll, you know? And, uh, and so Jim slowly walked over and he picked up this doll from the floor and he went over to the corner of this uh, special care unit and he gently put it on the lap of a woman who was whimpering and crying in her chair. And then she stopped crying. It was kind of a miracle. And I asked the nurse, what's the story with that? And she said, well, that's her doll. So look, Jim, he may have, he, he may have been weak in his linear reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and he may have been limited in lots of different ways, but he had a lot of emotional intelligence. And to be honest with you, he probably had a little more emotional intelligence than maybe a lot of people walking the streets. In fact, I'm sure he did. Um, so, you, you know, you can't you can't judge people on the basis of memory um, and and. Uh, we all have our moments. I mean, I was in I was in in Bangalore, India, about oh boy, in 2015, for a conference on deeply forgetful people, and it was at the Indian Institute for Advanced Studies. And I gave this talk about how we in the West we we put too much of a premium on, 
you know, rationality and hypercognitive values. And, and if, if someone doesn't measure up to those values, we, we think they're dispensable. And I, I was saying that it's, they still have consciousness. They can still enjoy like your mom, right? She right. can enjoy the leaves in the fall. She could enjoy the smell of an apple pie and, 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 and actually be more in the present to do so. Mm-hmm. Not kind of rushing around like I am all the time from point A to point B. She's, she's, she's slowed down with, with her forgetfulness. And, that, and so, um, you know, there, there you have it. They, 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 they have a presence about them and we need to take that into account. But I was in India and I was giving this talk and, and I heard some commotion in the back of this lecture hall and I looked and it, 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 and it turned out it was the Dalai Lama. And because he likes to spend time in Bangalore and at the Indian Institute. And he put his hand down after my talk and he said, yes, there is no reason to value somebody less because their memory is impaired. Mm -hmm. It's consciousness. It's consciousness, you know, and 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 that's really the truth of it. So that's why his holiness was kind enough. He doesn't do this much anymore because he's getting very senior, mm-hmm. but he was kind enough to write a really nice endorsement of um, deeply forgetful people. So how long did it take you to write the book and um, how were you able to get the interviews and everything to put together? Well, let's be honest with you, 30 years. Wow. Be- because because um, well, I went to Case Western Medical School in, in 1988 at the, at the request of this wonderful neurologist I mentioned before, Joe Foley, to whom the book is dedicated. Mm-hmm. And he a really remarkable guy and known all over the world. In fact, he helped define the diagnoses of most of these conditions that cause dementia. And, um, and so he just wanted me to work with him. I worked in the clinic with him and, and uh, counseled caregivers and, and affected individuals on decisions they would have to make and, and how they could still stay connected. Um, you know, I became an Alzheimer's poet, you know, I, 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 would, I could, I, in that unit, you know, I, I would, I would bring caregivers and their loved ones, like maybe even 20 or 30 of them uh, into, uh, into this common room. And there, there was no verbal communication going on, but if with animation and musicality, you know, I read something like The Road Less Traveled that that generation like your mom would relate to, you know. Right, right, right. Well, you know, I've got to tell you, you know, 80, 90 percent of the people in that room would chime in. Now, maybe some of them for just a line or two, some of them for a whole stanza and some of them would just stand up and recite the whole damn thing. And mm-hmm. and 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 that's so, so you can get you can you can you can connect with people in their areas of familiarity. And you can do it through poetry and music. And, and you know, we, we had a guy in an art program uh, who, who was very deeply forgetful, not communicating at all. And he'd come in in the mornings and, you know, and he'd usually have gotten a decent night's sleep. And he could, with a black crayon, he could sketch on a pad of paper, right, which was on the, on the easel. And it was just chaos, you know. Uh, but there was always... In the middle of this sketch, there were always two lines, okay, like a like a little highway. And we would ask this fellow, okay, what is that? We never got an answer for days and days and days and days. And then 
one morning, hey, Jack, what is that? And he said, it's a map for my daughter to find my house. Nice. Yeah. So, so sometimes, like, I mean, as far as we were concerned, looking at that out from the outside, mm-hmm. that image was just crazy. Right. But it was actually more purposeful from, from his point of view. Because it was a map for his daughter to get to the house. So, you know, you have to use your creativity, your imagination. Uh, like Larry Dossie said, you have to notice, you know, you have to notice these things. And if you can notice them and connect with people and not be judgmental and not be sort of cognitively arrogant and just recognize that these are wonderful people. And, um, you know, with, with love, uh, you can connect with them. You know, nothing separates people from from love, not even deep forgetfulness. Do you think a lot of people, though, get wrapped up in, in their own lives, you know, because they're so busy, you know, doing their own thing with the kids or, 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 or the family, that when they do work with, with relatives like this, that's why they, they want to keep them in the present because it's too hard to go into, you know, into their world? You know, um, People are awfully busy in our culture. They are anxious all the time. Depression rates are sky high. You know, they're, they're, they're running around, like I said before, from point A to point B constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I actually, you know, run a big program here in this medical school and, and I'm constantly on the go. Uh, and, I don't think it's that healthy for me, but when I'm around someone who's deeply forgetful, I actually find it as a relief. Okay. Because if I'm going to connect with them at all, I have to come into the present. Right. You know, it's like all those books you read about the now. Mm -hmm. I mean, you almost, you have to put time on the shelf. There is no past. There is no present, no future. There's just the now. And if you can enter into that state, which people, you know, people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to some retreat somewhere in in Arizona, you know, uh, to get to get into the now. But if if you're going to relate seriously to somebody you care about Mm -hmm. uh, who who is deeply forgetful, you you have to live in the now. It's actually great spiritual training. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, people have to slow down a little bit, and 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 I think in a way, that's something we can learn from these folks. You know, there was a I talk in the book about a painter, great painter, and his name it doesn't matter. His name was Wilhelm de Kooning, and he was like Jackson Pollock. You know, he was a very famous guy in the fifties and sixties and seventies, and he just painted such anxious stuff. It was like that. That image of the scream you've probably seen or some of your listeners have, you know, just total chaos, total anxiety. And and he was getting in fist fights as he was in middle age and getting older and on Bleecker Street in front of the Cafe Wa and all that stuff. He was just a man of his times. And he was one of these people, you know, you run into them who say, I don't do nothing for nothing. You ever heard that? Right. Yes. <laughs> so. He, he's diagnosed with, with probable Alzheimer's disease at uh, Cornell Hospital. And this is now like, you know, 20 years ago. By, and by a friend of mine, a physician friend of mine. 
And for 14 years, he had dementia, probably caused by Alzheimer's, but it's actually usually caused by different things. I mean, it can be stroke events in the white matter of the brain plus Alzheimer's. It can be getting hit on the head in a football game when you were 15. I mean, it can be a whole mix of things. And it usually, that's why they call it now mixed dementia. But, um, uh, you know, he, he his painting was always so rough. If you look at de Kooning, his painting was, it, it just makes you grit your teeth. But then suddenly he started painting this stuff. It was like beautiful desert flowers, you know, like Georgia O'Keeffe. <laughs> I mean, okay, I mean, okay, so it wasn't as elaborate, okay? It wasn't as as detailed and 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 didn't require quite the skill set, but it was beautiful and uplifting. And 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 the question you have to ask is, okay, so somehow when he when he got a little more deeply forgetful, did he forget the stuff that our culture teaches? Again, I don't do nothing for nothing. You know, right. did he forget about all that roughness, you know, all that anxiety that I've got to be a man, you know. Did he forget about that? And did he just kind of come back into his true self and express that in his art? And there was a, there was an exhibit of his work, a posthumous exhibit. And uh, I was reading some of the reviews. This is you know ten or eight, ten or twelve years ago. Right. Most of the reviewers said, "Oh, he was just a shell. He was just a husk of himself. This is an embarrassment. This isn't de Kooning." But there was one reviewer I really liked, and and she said, "Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is a guy." who lived with dementia for 14 years. He lived in a loft in Greenwich Village and he had one. And he just sporadically rise up and dip his paint brush in the acrylic and go up to the easel and he'd paint this stuff. Mm -hmm. And he always, he always knew that he had to be dressed in dungarees. They had a bunch of pairs of painters dungarees and they'd get them in and out of them, you know. But he knew who he was. And, and that reviewer said, wait, this is a guy for 13 and a half out of 14 years. He knew who he was. He knew he was an artist. And, and, and he discovered something in his art that was even deeper than what he had known earlier. And I think there's a lot of value in, 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 in seeing these people as differently abled in lots of ways. I agree. I think that's something, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm not a teacher like you. I mean, I'm, I'm in no way an expert on this, but with the experience that I went through, that's the thing. It's like, it's like having a little kid. It's like looking at, you know, what abilities that they might have and then building on those. I mean, if, if they're like, like with this case, if he's, if they're into art, terrific, do crafts with them, do whatever, you know, just to, just to pull that out. So you don't, you know, they don't feel lost. You know, I mean, there's so many uh, back in the old, you know, back, I'm not saying old days, but I mean, there's so many cases where people will get this and get sick and they'll just be sitting in a corner somewhere, you know, letting the drool drop. And that's not right because they could still be productive, but in different ways. In different ways. In different ways, yeah. And and that's our caring. That's what caring is about. It's being open to the different ways, you know. And and by the way, people who are deeply forgetful, they become so emotionally sensitive mm -hmm. that they can pick up the emotions of the people around them. And and that's why, like, if you if you look at the um nurses, aides, and caregivers in nursing homes, for example. Some of them just, they can just do it and they thrive and there's this connectivity and presence and you can pick it up. And some of them, they just don't have that and they, 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 they vote with their feet. 
course, they don't get paid much anyway, although they're getting more a little bit, a little more paid now. Um, I got to tell you a story. So Joe Foley and I went to um, a geriatric psychiatric hospital in the middle of Ohio, in Mount Vernon, Ohio. Uh, and uh, it's, it's right next to Kenyon College and, 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 and uh, where Paul Newman went and uh, ran the, he, he, you know, devoted all his resources to build up their theater department. And we, we would meet him. So I, I knew Paul pretty well. And, and, and so um, we went, so Joe and I were in this hospital and there was a special unit to, in the hospital for people with Down syndrome who had also gotten into their late forties and fifties. And in, in that population, almost everybody uh, has also the dual diagnosis of probable Alzheimer's disease. It's a genetic thing. It's chromosome 23. I won't go into it, mm -hmm. but, but, um, and so it's very difficult for the family members because, you know, they, they celebrated, the accomplishments of these individuals as youngsters, you know, every, every step was a victory. And now they're seeing this kind of development in reverse. Mm -hmm. So, so um, there were these wonderful, wonderful uh, Hindus. This is the middle of Ohio. These Hindu nurses, aides, there were about seven or eight of them, and they were taking care of this group. There were about 20 or 30 of these guys and gals. They were taking beautiful care of them. They were connecting with them. They were so, just palpably loving. And um, so Joe and I, we invited a few of them to a, to a restaurant in uh, Gambier, Ohio, which is just a few miles. That's where Kenyon is. And they only have one restaurant there. It's a pizza restaurant. And, uh, you know, we, we, we ordered a bunch of big pepperoni pizzas, although, well, plain pizzas for them because they don't like pepperoni. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, we asked them, why, why do you care I mean, first of all, a, a community of, of Hindu nurses living in the middle of Ohio is kind of unusual, you know. Right. So, so what's going on here? What's what's motivating you? And 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 they said very gently, they said, Namaste, which is the Hindu greeting, and it means literally, um, I honor the divine in you as you honor the divine in me. So they didn't see these people as husks, as empty, as shells, as gone, as dead, as absent, mm -hmm. right? They saw them uh, much more deeply. And despite their struggles, they still had this, this uh, point of light, the Hindus would say, this point, or the Buddhists would say, a point of light within, that they were still part of the, the one mind, the mm -hmm. oneness, if you will. And that's how um, these individuals saw them. And they were fantastic. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was absolutely stunning. And, and I think that that's the, that's the lesson that we need to value one another. You know, we, we look at our society, you read the newspaper, man, I'm, my God, you know, people doing the craziest, most destructive, harmful things to one another every day. And it just, it gets worse and worse. So we need to just step back and say namaste, and we can learn a lot by treating people who are deeply forgetful with love and treating everybody with love. Absolutely. I was going to ask you about treatment centers, now that you brought that up for this. And I know that there's that new style treatment center that's been coming out the last 
two or three years where they could the, the, where they put them in a community you know within a hospital and they're they're able to go shopping they're able to function do you think it's a good idea yeah so i mean especially in europe they've gone very far with this in the netherlands and, mm -hmm. and switzerland you know i mean basically they've 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 designed what really looks like a small city block that's what you're thinking of you know right, yes. and you read about that in the papers and you, and you can go online and you know is it it's 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 actually great architecture mm -hmm. because you know it's it's safe and it gives them a sense of freedom um it's expensive mm -hmm. but um you know i find it to be very creative and very interesting and very healing for these individuals um, you know, um, but even without going to that level, you know, our our better assisted living centers, you know, they're they're very, very creative now. I mean, they've got the Eden alternative. They've got lots of plants and they've got uh, 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 retrievers. They've got golden retrievers and Labradors and they've got birds and 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 they've got exposure to the to the out of doors and and. There's a lot going on because because when these and even even now, if you go to a good assisted living program or a good nursing home, there's actually a room or two where individuals, even with dementia, can participate mm -hmm. in community service. You know, they'll be as best they can, you know, right. putting things in the basket for the walkathon that's going on next week, you know, and uh, and they find it very meaningful. So there's still this side of people that wants to give and to make a contribution to the world around them. I knew a guy in Shaker Heights, Ohio, the inner ring suburb of Cleveland. And he was, he was really not, a, a, by all reports from his family, not a very nice guy. He became, he became deeply forgetful and he insisted on driving, uh, if, if you will, shotgun in the, in the passenger seat in this van that would go around Shaker Heights and pick people up and bring them to the uh, Foley Elder Healthcare Center. And he was, he became very, very altruistic and, and devoted. And he would, he would help people out of the van, bring them through the sidewalk into the door, and then he'd come back out. And he, he just, you know, he, he blossomed at least for a while. And okay. I think that's the thing we need to realize is that these people still, you know, they, I mean, the, the passive, hospital model where, you know, a nursing home is just like, you know, put a bed in a room. Right. Right. I mean, that's actually, there've been studies on this. It's kind of shocking, but it's true. It, it, you, you, you shorten people's lives that way. If you just have them passively in, you know, on, on a bed and you treat them like they're, they're in a, in a, in a, in a hospital room. If you give them opportunities in the community, if you have them if you give them music, if you give them poetry, if you give them art, if you give them all kinds of stimulations, including the, the, the dogs, uh -huh. um, um, you know, they, they, they can live, you know, longer and they can live happier. By the way, I got to tell you this about, about the, the Alzheimer's dog movement. So I was on the board of uh, the Alzheimer's Association in uh, Stirling, Scotland for a while. And this is now we're going back 25 years. And the idea was, you know, why don't we train dogs for the deeply forgetful? And we actually did that. So in Scotland, they, you know, they, 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 
you know, mainly, mainly, you know, mid-sized, small-sized Labradors because uh -huh. they have such nice dispositions. Uh, but they, you know, they were trained and, and, and it worked very well because frankly, you know, a dog doesn't give a hoot if you're a little forgetful, right. <laughs> you know, and it's always there wagging its tail. I mean, it, I believe, I agree with C.S. Lewis, there's probably going to be dogs in heaven because they're so loving and so loyal. <clears throat> so this has taken off. And, and, and now, uh, for example, in Australia, uh, the Australian government supports dogs for people who are deeply forgetful. So I was over there and now we're going back 12 years, I think. I was at a, uh, doing a plenary at a conference and we had about 40 or 50 people who were deeply forgetful, not like super deeply forgetful, but who were, you know, significantly compromised. And they all had their dogs. Each one of them had their dog and the dog on the leash. And then with a forget me not vest on, <laughs> okay. And then we took a we took a walk down the main drag of Sydney, you know, uh, past the Sydney Hospital, and there was a taxi driver. Taxi guy pulls up, and he looks at me, and he kind of you know, and he's like, he says, "Blimey, dogs are for blind people." <laughs> and 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 we have to get beyond that because you know dogs are really man's best friend, and and they're especially a best friend when uh, there's a lot of rejection, a lot of stigma with deep forgetfulness. And, you know, a dog is wonderful. So I have a lot on dogs in the book. And, um, you know, I think one of the accomplishments in life that I'm most happy with, but look, I mean, let's be honest, on a scale of one to 10, now let's say it, let's say insulin is about a, a 9.5 successful drug for the treatment of diabetes. Mm -hmm. The stuff we have, the, the medications to treat um, Alzheimer's would probably be on that scale, maybe a 0.05 or maybe a one. Okay. They're not very effective. There's no magic bullet out there. I mean, you could try it and, and maybe in some cases it's a little more beneficial than others, but it's, 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 it's you know, it's, it, we haven't gotten there yet. And everybody recognizes that. That's why, you know, suddenly when there's a new drug that comes along, um, it gets controversial because it's been approved when it really shouldn't have been because they're so desperate for something that will alter the course of this thing, but it, but there is nothing. So, uh, but that isn't to say that, you know, people want to experiment with these things. They can't as long as there, there's no major side effects and, and they're pretty safe. So I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't want to uh, say anything negative, right? but um, I think it's unfair and, 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 you know, people have to have hope and, but you're, but you're, 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 you're on that scale of, of one to 10, um, where would an Alzheimer's dog, where would music and memory, where would the Alzheimer's poets be? Probably a seven. I mean, there's no drug that can bring people back into themselves, you know, like when your mother was listening to a Hollywood uh, musical, you know, right. Greece. I mean, there's, I love Greece, by the way. There's, there's, there's nothing, nothing that's going to bring her into that. Uh, sense of of who she is and what has meaning to her, you know. There's no drug that can do that, but right. music can do it. And so, uh, you know, on a on a scale of one to ten, the music's probably up there around a seven or an eight, mm -hmm. you know. And and that's what we have to realize. I mean, so psychologists they distinguish passive hope, like okay, 
those people in that lab down in Southern California are going to come up with the magic bullet drug. And uh -huh. you just put your hope in that. That's sort of an American thing. We want pharma, 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 although I'm not sure we're not changing our tune a little bit these days. Um, I, I hope so. But uh, um, I mean, sometimes pharma does great things, but, it, but you know, some, sometimes it just it's, it's not it's, it's not as good as it's touted to be. Right. Um, so. And there is billions of dollars being made. But look, I mean, uh, you know, the medical model, which is basically medication, uh, it's it's very limited in in this area. And what and so we have to go beyond that and think about a human being in the full sense of being a human being and what can we do to interact with them and you know be psychosocial and and creative and uh, engage them in these wonderful ways and. And it, it's so th it's so thrilling, actually. So there's a thing I, I coined a term called paradoxical lucidity years ago when I was in Ohio. It's about 1994. <clears throat> and I said, you know what's amazing? These people, they can be they can seem so gone, so out of it. Mm -hmm. But then there'll be that golden moment when suddenly they're in it. Did you was your mother like that? Yes, Absolutely. I mean, were you surprised by it? You were, right? I mean, it's, I was. I mean, there's a situation where I had to go to ER one time, and of course, they wouldn't let her in with me, and I was really upset over it. And I said, Well, you're going to have to watch her because, you know, she's got this going on. And they said, Okay, we'll watch her. And about 20 minutes later, I hear her coming up the hallway with her walker, and she says, Where is my daughter? Where did you put my daughter? And it felt so good because I was so upset being at the ER. You know what I mean? And to have her know that I was there, it was like, oh, my God, my mother's here. Wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. And and so what did that so meant to you? If, if I can just reflect this back. <clears throat> oh, my God, my mother's here is what you said, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's like it's like those moments are so powerful. And and are they rare? Well, they're not that rare. I mean, if you really look at the anecdotal evidence, most caregivers will tell you that there were these moments where they were about to give up, where they just couldn't find it in their hearts anymore. And suddenly, you know, there was this moment of, of I say, paradoxical lucidity, surprising lucidity. Mm -hmm. And and then they have this realization, you know, she's there after all. Mm -hmm. It may not be obvious to me. It may be a little difficult to see sometimes, but she's there. And why don't they just make that your assumption? And which is what you did, it seems right. to me, Carol, with your with your mom, and and I really commend you for, uh, for that. But so 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 lo and behold, the National Institutes of Health in in Maryland, you know, they actually put out a request for proposals about five years ago for scientists to study paradoxical lucidity because they thought, you know, if you could learn maybe through PET scans and things, if you could learn a little more about what's going on with the brain when people who have been quote unquote gone seems to be back, mm -hmm. you know, seem to be back at least temporarily. Um, you could learn a lot about what's going on. So they're studying that. And, and, and it's, it's very interesting. I don't know what will come of it, right. but um, I'm starting a, I, I'm, I'm very interested in this and it has a lot to do. I mean, you know, your, your program, California haunts, 
you know, it has a lot to do with, you know, when they have these moments, these, when like when your mother, you know, said, where's my daughter? And, and, right. I mean, you know, was that just some little fragment of her brain that was somehow firing off uh, uh, sporadically? Or, and that's what some people say. If you're, if you're a materialist entirely, you mm-hmm. might say that. But if you are more into the spiritual, non-material possibility anyway of the human being, then maybe, maybe that mom is absolutely there intact all the time, but underneath this kind of um, uh, neurological deterioration. So she may not be able to communicate much, but she's still there. And I think that's very interesting. So, you know, I, I, uh, I knew a lot of neurologists, including a, a John Eccles at the University of Chicago, Nobel Prize laureate, who, who did not think that mind was derived simply from matter. He thought he was a mind before matter person. And that's what most people think, actually, that, mm-hmm. that, that, that there's something unique about mind, that mind precedes the universe, you know, right? The Big Bang and everything. But before that was the, the infinite mind. And, and so maybe, maybe there's something about these individuals who are deeply forgetful that we can learn, we can, we can, we can, we can learn from them that the mind is deeper than matter. What do you say to people that are just starting this journey, you know, with, with a loved one? Well, I say, you know, be thoughtful because it, you know, it, it, the, it don't, don't, don't have a bias against your loved one. They're still your loved one. And they'll always still be your loved one. And it's completely unjustifiable to think that they're anything other than your loved one. So you have to make room for them in your own, like you did, you have to make space for them, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, uh, and, and, and if you do that, you, you know, th- they will be happier, but also you will grow. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, I'm sure. Don't you think, Charlotte, that that in your interaction with your mother, you developed a perspective that you probably would not have had otherwise? I agree with that. I agree 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, same with me. I I, I don't think I'd been have been doing all this stuff all these years and traveling all around the country, every state, dozens of times working with caregivers and, you know, various organizations. I don't think I'd have been doing it if it wasn't for my conviction that uh, my grandmother was still there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that's, that's the ultimate hope, you know, that's that, I mean, I mean, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm hoping that sometime we'll actually figure out the right medications. I mean, we're getting some pretty good medications for Parkinson's disease. Right. And, 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 you know, dementia can be secondary to Parkinson's. Um, but, at least half, maybe even 60% of dementia is secondary to Alzheimer's disease, which is different than Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. And what we don't have is any breakthrough medications for, for, for that. So I'm hopeful that people will find those medications that will be able to, to do something really miraculous. And that would be great. But in the meantime, 
you know, where do you put your hope? And you got to put your hope in, 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 in tender, loving care. Absolutely. Um, when, when, when you're working with caregivers, how do you bring them into say their world? Is it hard in some cases to, 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 to change their thinking and the way they have, they, they handle their loved one? You know, some people can't do it. They just, you know, they, they just look at they even it's a loved one, but event, you know, they still look at that person more in terms of say economic productivity mm-hmm. or cognitive skills that are off the charts, you know? Right. Um, I mean, I, I, I call this, this hyper cognitive. So, um, I mean, usually the, you hear the word hypocognitive that somebody mm-hmm. is belie- beneath any kind of normal threshold. But I, I talk about the, the, uh, an equally problematic condition, which is being hypercognitive. Because when, 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 when you just see people as valuable, look, what happened in, in, in Germany um, and I talk about this in the book. I, I, I'm going to just mention it lightly and, 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 and briefly. But um, in 1939, there was a program called T4. It stands for Tiergestrasse 4 in, in, in German. And it was in Munich. And it was a Nazi thing. And for about a year and a half, they took people out of asylums people who had cognitive disabilities. Now, maybe half of that 70,000 people, historians say, had cognitive developmental disabilities, you know, from youth, from childhood, and about half of them had dementia. And they, they would take them out and lie them down in the snow at night or put them in ice water. I heard about this. And this is called hypothermia. This was where the hypothermia. And what did they say about this? They, so they took, they, they, let's just say they took 30 to 40,000 people with dementia and they froze them to death. Mm-hmm. And then they bring them back into the asylums and they'd warm them up. Well, you know, they, I mean, they warm them up at different temperatures and, and maybe in hot air and hot water and whatever. And they said, well, we want to know at what point does it become futile okay to send rescue teams into the cold waters of the north atlantic to try to pick up a downed submariner or or an air or a pilot mm-hmm. of course this was complete junk but but uh that's what they were doing and but the thing about it is that these these people they had only one thing going against them they were deeply forgetful so you know the the nazis discriminated they, they weren't these people were not jewish they were not Polish Catholics. They were not uh, gay. They were not of color. These are all people who were discriminated against as classes of people in Nazi Germany. Uh, but they they were they were, if you will, um, pure-blooded Aryans. Okay. <laughs> but but even still, because they were deeply forgetful, they were expendable, and they had language around them: life unworthy of life useless eaters, quote unquote. And, and so after about a year and a half, even in Germany at the time, uh, the German people reacted against the T4 program. 
and it had to be stopped. But the very same investigators went right to the death camps of Dachau and Auschwitz, and they perpetrated the hypothermia experiments on the Jews. Mm -hmm. So the thing to remember, to remember about this is that medicine at its lowest point in those death camps, actually it got started with the deeply forgetful, which tells you that there is a human tendency, you know, to just to write people off because they're, they're, uh, they're not independent, uh, they're vulnerable, they're frail, they can't take care of themselves, they can't think straight. And, and the day we overcome that prejudice, I think it's going to be a better world. Absolutely. Do you think, last question today, do you think they're ever going to find a cure or something that would slow all this down better? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, <clears throat> it's going to be a while. Um, and science really doesn't know what causes, for example, Alzheimer's disease. You hear a lot about these plaques and tangles and stuff, but they're just sort of down. <clears throat> People once thought they caused the problem. So if you could get rid of those things, you, you'd solve it. But actually, they're like downstream, way down the road. What's happening upstream is, I think, probably neuroinflammation and a lot of other things that we don't understand. And this stuff down below is just an after effect. Mm -hmm. So the trouble right now is that the pharmacology folks, they don't know what to aim for. Right. They don't know what to go for. And until we really know what to go after, um, uh, pharmacologically, uh, we won't have a solution. Right. Uh, but I think that we will find more, more about this. And, 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 and there are a lot of very talented younger scientists hold, you know, you know, bundles of them now more than ever, because this is such an important topic. Uh, so hopefully, you know, I mean, I keep my fingers crossed. I'm just not willing to put all my eggs in that basket. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Stephen, I want to thank you for coming on. It was wonderful. Great conversation. I was so looking forward to this and uh, I wish you all the best luck. What's next for you? Well, um, you know, I've been, I've been very happy with this book. I feel like it's, um, it's the best thing I could ever have written for these caregivers and for these affected individuals. And I dedicated it to Dr. Foley and, it's so full of stories that are meaningful and personal and uplifting. So I'm happy about it. And I'm not going to probably write another book on Alzheimer's again, because I've done it, you know, and this is it. Right. For me. And Johns Hopkins did a beautiful job producing it, but I'm working on a book now um, called eight paths to inner peace. Um, a possible subtitle given live better. I had a book about 14 years ago, well, why good things happen to good people, how to live a healthier, happier, longer life, the simple act of giving. And that did really well, got on most of the lists. And I want to I want to come back. I think right now people are so anxious. They're so disturbed and so distressed by some of the human behaviors and attitudes and speech that are floating around and that, that are exacerbated by, by the media sometimes, you know. Um, I think that um, 
we need to get back uh, to basics. And so this is a, this is a, I mean, titles are like, you know, uh, uh, may you give and glow. May you heal with kindness. May you follow your callings. May you cherish nature. May you know the one mind, you know, things like that. And, and, and I just want folks, may you raise kind children. I, it doesn't mean you have to be, you know, whatever, however that you can be a teacher. It doesn't matter to me, right. but you know, the, the thing is that, um, we need to get back to basics and, um, and that includes, you know, saying, thank you, you're welcome, <laughs> you know, and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, so I'd like to see us um, come back a little bit uh, to, uh, to what I'll call a, a culture of dignity. Absolutely. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And uh Love to have you on to talk more about this. I mean, it, it's a topic that I'm interested in. I know it's a topic that a lot of people are interested in. Well, and a book well, like yours really helps. Yeah. Email me anytime. We're, we're about to start a national uh, uh, program on on paradoxical lucidity, which will be, I mean, if I do write another book, mm-hmm. it's just going to be on that. Sure. Absolutely. You know, because there's such power and, and what they mean to people. And, 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 and I think that would be, that would be helpful. I only do things that are that, that, that are going to be helpful to some mm-hmm. identifiable constituency. I'm. You think I'm an academic? I guess I am, but I really do all this because of love. Mm-hmm. That's that's the deal, you know. I have an institute called the Institute for Research on Unlimited Love. So if you go to unlimitedloveinstitute.org, you'll see all the stuff there, um, and. Yeah. Dozens, even hundreds of researchers around the world who study love. I don't mean love of chocolate or love of designer genes, but, you know, the love where the happiness and the well-being of another is as meaningful and sometimes more so to me than my own. You know, as meaningful as my own. And so there's still my self-love there, but it's this idea of love for all humanity. And and that's where the, that's the secret, to be honest. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. Well, you have a great holiday, sir. And I thank you so much for coming on. Okay, and 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 uh, good luck to you. Have a wonderful holiday, and and to all your listeners, uh, thanks for thanks for being here. Absolutely. Have a good one, sir. Okay, you too. Bye bye. Right. Bye bye. All right. I mean, that meant a whole lot to me to do this show. You know, with, with you know, going through that with my mother and. It's so wonderful to hear his philosophy, you know, his, his studies and his philosophy on this stuff, because that's what I believed all along, taking care of my mother. So, yeah, it's just brought a tear. A couple of tears came. Tomorrow, we're shifting gears again back to the paranormal. And Bill M., who is a high, I'm not going to say priestess, but he is he's a magister, which would be a high priestess, and the Church of Satan is going to be here to talk about the differences between the Church of Satan and what Satanism is. So he's going to be with us tomorrow. We've been been waiting to get him on for a while. So he's going to be joining us. And that's going back to the paranormal side, right? If you're watching from Facebook tonight and you like what you hear, please be sure to like and follow because we're looking for followers. Um, You can find California Haunts all over Facebook. You can find me over at Instagram under Ghosty Gal. It's all lowercase. Please follow if, if, if you like what you hear. If you're watching from YouTube, Please hit that like button and that subscribe button. And the subscribe button is down the bottom right-hand corner. There's a little ghost with a magnifying glass. 
and uh, he is our mascot. If you hit that little red subscribe button, it'll pop up, and that, that because we're always always looking for subscribers. And as I said, we're also over on TikTok, so we have short little videos over there, some humorous stuff that we do, and different things like that to kind of lighten the mood. Now it's over at TikTok under California Haunts, which is all lowercase. I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. I really appreciate each and every one of you. And I, I don't do this very often anymore, but I do have a ticker floating down at the bottom of the page. And that's because California Haunts doesn't take any money to do any investigations or anything like that. We are simply out to help and inform people about the paranormal. And if you could you know, find it in your heart to help me out a little bit, that would be great. You know, I still have expenses with the internet costs for the show and computers and all that so when something dies i have to pay it out of pocket to fix it and it's just it, you know you can build up sometimes you can find it in your heart to help us out keep us on the air keep us getting good, great great guests like this i'd appreciate it you can do that at paypal.me at, at california haunts or we do have a venmo if you're uncomfortable with paypal and that's just california haunts just go to venmo and type that in but i would really appreciate it my, my team would really appreciate it all right that said Again, uh, you, you can visit us at YouTube, and we have a really cool YouTube address, which is youtube.com forward slash at, that little ampersand at thing, California Haunts Radio. So you can check us out over there. We have 450 videos over there of different topics, just like this one, and I, I like to cover different things. So huh, now I can breathe. So we'll be back tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific with Bill M. of the Church of Satan. All right. So I will see you tomorrow. Have a great evening. See ya.